The year was 1970. I was 10 years old, going on 11. Do the math, figure out how old I am. Matter of fact, you probably noticed tonight that Thrive had rapidly aged. <laughs> this is your geriatric service. Metamucil at the uh, coffee bar. Wow, I need to stop. It was 1970, and it was my year to be neurotic. It was my year to be afraid of everything. My father's father passed away that year, and I saw death everywhere. My dad would get in his car to drive to work, and I was sure he was going to die, wreck and die. My mom would head down to Petersburg to work, and you know going down that road, you could die, right? I wouldn't get on the school bus because I was sure something would happen. I wouldn't go to school because I was sure that there was something there that might cause me trepidation. I stayed in my room, and I fretted, and I cried, and I prayed. And I fretted, and I cried. It's pitiful to see my school picture that year. Uh, my mom always made me wear a tie. I had a little purple plaid shirt on and a little purple tie. And my eyes are so sad. Kenny Clore made fun of me when he looked at that picture. You ever gotten to a place like that in your life? I refused to go to Florida that year on vacation. It was that bad. And you see, all of us know the reality of tragedy, don't we? We know it could happen. We know that it's, it's a possibility, and as a result of it being a possibility, it, it's the thing that we fear most. And fear is always, without question, the opposite of faith. Jesus made it very clear in his ministry that he had come to move people from a place of fear to a place of faith. I, uh, I marvel three times in a row now when I listen to Amanda's testimony, because I believe it encompasses a parent's greatest fear come true and an unimaginable faith to move past that. And I think there's a daily flow in all of our lives, and we're somewhere in the midst of fear and faith. Some days more fearful. Some days, what's going to happen next? Some days, how is God going to get me through this? Some days, the test is too hard. Some day, the road is too rough. Some days, the pain's unbearable. And then there are other days that just seem to come easy. When God seems to be near, when victory seems to be attainable, when you're getting along with your spouse, 
Do I get along with Kent and he gets along with me that day? So how do we get to a place as we follow Jesus that we almost naturally find the hope that we need, the faith that we need, and the comfort that we need? In John chapter 11, remember the story there that talks to us about Lazarus, his sister Mary, Martha. They were dear, dear friends of Jesus. And the Bible says right at the very beginning of this chapter, Lazarus was sick. He was sick. And, uh, you know, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, but I, I suspect he probably already knew, don't you? And instead of immediately rushing from the place that he was up in north of Jerusalem down to Bethany, Jesus delayed. He read the letter that they sent him. I like how it was worded, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. But Jesus was in no hurry. Matter of fact, he, he said to his disciples, guys, not only is Lazarus sick, he's going to die. And God's going to use this somehow for his glory. So he finally makes it to town. And guess what? Lazarus is in the cemetery. He's in the tomb. Jesus is a little bit late. And Mary and Martha are not really happy with Jesus. In fact, they have this conversation that says, Lord, if you had been here, Lord, where were you? Lord, you could have done something. You could have stopped this. Fact is, they knew what uh, we all know that our only hope is in Jesus. Only hope's in him. How many of you have placed hope in other things? Anybody? There's not many of us here. What do you place your hope in? Just yell it out. Money. Children. John White, what do you place your hope in? Your job, spouse, we'll pray for you. <laughs> There's any number of things that we think if, if this were just right, if, this was, if I could just get this, attain this, accomplish this, I'd be all right. But every single thing, every single person, every single entity other than Jesus will leave you looking for hope. Looking for hope. Remember, the one you love is sick. If there was anyone who was a believer in Jesus at the time, I suspect it was Lazarus. You'd think that Jesus' best friend might have a free pass, wouldn't you think? If you were tied with Jesus, wouldn't you think you could beat about anything that came along? 
I kind of think that about me. I'm a preacher. I ought not to have the problems I have. Right? But you know what? Even believers, even believers get sick and die. We're not immune to the pain and the struggles of life, are we? And Lazarus died. He died. And his sister said, God, where were you? Jesus, where were you? Where were you? When Jesus got to town, he headed towards the tomb. Bible says that he, he saw the weeping and, and, and the anxiety and the grief and, and all of the things that are associated with, 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 with a funeral, with death. And he said he was moved, deeply moved in, in his spirit. He was troubled, he was touched. There's just something about knowing that Jesus has that kind of compassion, that kind of empathy that causes me to know I'm loved. <laughs> you, you go see a friend and you tell him you've got a, tr- you know, a problem or troubles or worries, and, and if you've got 50 friends, two or three of them might really care, Right? The rest of them will nod their head and say, man, yeah, and really sorry. And then as they leave, say, I'm glad that's him and not me. Aren't you good to know that Jesus is one of those who really cares? The one who has the power to do something about it is the one who really cares. He was moved in his spirit. His love was evident. Matter of fact, that's how Mary and Martha had appealed to him. You love this guy. And then here's what the scripture says in verse 35. Jesus wept. The one who already knew the outcome wept. The one who had resurrection power wept. The one who knew that Lazarus was on his way back wept. And he wept, not because Lazarus was dead, but because his heart was moved with compassion for those who grieved. Those who grieved. I often think about why Jesus delayed there. There had to be a lesson, right? Did you guys grow up with parents, or maybe you're still growing up with parents, who they have a method behind all their madness, a lesson behind everything that's happening? Anybody? It's dark out there, but I surely somebody had a parent like that. My dad was an expert. 
at, at, at subtle lessons and not so subtle lessons as well. Carl? You see what Jesus was teaching his disciples and what he was teaching Mary and Martha too, I suspect, is that life is not always about the here and now. You know, we're happy. We're happy if, if uh, things are good and they're comfortable, right? If everything is, is kind of going our way and we're kind of at ease and there's no big problems, no big worries, we're happy. We're more concerned about that, right? I know I am. I, I'm not sitting around thinking, you know, things are really crappy here, but one day I'm going to be in heaven, Right? We're more interested in how are we right now. God takes a much longer view, and Jesus was teaching this lesson that it's not so much about being happy and comfortable, it's about being made holy and stronger spiritually, knowing what really matters, beginning to have the heart and the mind of God. So Jesus goes over by the tomb. Now you understand that what Jesus was about to do is something that uh, may have never happened before. Because he was going to cup his hands around his mouth. doesn't say that in the scripture, but I can see it in my mind's eye. He's this. If they'd had megaphones then, that's what he would have had. And not only is he going to speak to a decaying, mummified body in a tomb, he's going to talk to heaven, to a soul, to a spirit. Because I believe this, don't you guys, that when my body is snuffed out here and they put me in the Burlington Cemetery, I want one of the front row places, by the way, guys, if you're helping plan that. I believe immediately my spirit soars to heaven, don't you? Lazarus was already in heaven, just the old mummy down here. And so Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Come forth. Good thing he said Lazarus, or he'd have brought everybody in the cemetery out. That would have been a mess. <laughs> Can you imagine being there that day? Have you ever seen anything really crazy? I saw evil Knievel jump over a bunch of buses at Kings Island once. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. But have you ever seen like something just so amazing you can't believe it? This stone, I mean, I, the hand of God was rolling the stone. And here comes this dude who's been dead three days. Bible says he stunk. It said he stinketh. Go home and tell your wife that tonight. Or your husband. You stinketh. And here comes this guy. He, he can barely walk because they've tied him up in a big old waist bandage. They've t I mean, he, he's just doing this. He's doing the shuffle. That's how we'll all be walking when we get to the villages. 
He's doing the shuffle. <laughs> He's thinking, hey, I was in heaven. <laughs> what am I doing here? Darn, my sisters were praying. I was in heaven. He probably noticed his own odor, don't you think? That's bad when you can smell yourself, isn't it? He's walking out of that tomb. And he can't move very well. So Jesus said, hey, loose him. And set him free. And because we know that what Jesus was demonstrating was resurrection power. Matter of fact, he'd prove it himself in about 10 days' time. Because we know when Jesus said, loose him and set him free, not only was he talking about a man walking with a full stride, he was talking about every soul who would rest themselves in the hand of God. You see, we have a freedom from fear. We have a freedom from, from, you know, I wish I'd have known about Lazarus in the fifth grade. I wish I would have known that even if you died, you would live again. I wish I would have known there was no sting. I wish I would have had that hope then. And I know it now. And my prayer, my hope for you tonight, is that you live in absolute freedom. Because you know the end of the story. You know that one day God will say, loose him, loose her, loose Ken Holland. And make him leave that banjo and out there and set him free. Loose him. Bible also talks about how God works in our lives here as we grieve as we struggle with various burdens. it's Really, there's a whole chapter about it. In, in Romans chapter 7, you need to read that sometime, because like Paul was bipolar. I'm not going to ask if anybody here is bipolar, because people will move away from you. Paul was bipolar. In Romans 7, he was down in the dumps. Remember, he said, I know what I should do, but I don't do it. I know what's wrong, and I still do it. I know what's right, and I don't do it. I know I shouldn't eat that, and I do. I, you know, on and on and on. Woe is me. But then in Romans chapter 8, we're more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. What could separate us from the love of God? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this gem of a verse, all things work together for good. For those who love him. Now that's one of my favorites, right? Because, you know, there's some bad junk out there. You know, we've probably got 75, 80 people. That's the way preachers count here tonight. And all of us have some bad junk in our life. 
All of us have fears. All of us have worries. All of us have doubts. All of us have had grief. And so when I read that verse, what it says to me is all this bad stuff is going to be good. But that's not true, is it? Because some things are bad and they'll always be bad. Some things hurt and they'll always hurt. Some things will wound us and that wound will never heal. Some things will break us and they'll always be a part of us that's broken. If you look more closely at the passage and you read the next verse where it talks about, where it ties it in to to suffering as Jesus did. What you come to understand is Paul was saying, despite the bad, despite those things that won't quit hurting, God's always going to work something good out. He's not going to quit. He's not going to give up. He's going to push you past the bad to a good place. I don't always agree with God, do you? That's kind of stupid to say, isn't it, right here in church? I don't always agree with my finite mind, what his infinite mind has happened. I I can't understand why some people seem to be blessed when they don't really serve him, and I don't understand why others suffer. I, I don't understand why... People that I love die. And I asked that same question that Mary and Martha asked. Where were you, God? (laughs) I know he won't answer the why, so I just go to where. Where were you? Don't you? Where were you when this was going on? Here's what I believe. When that person who's so dear to you goes before you want them to go, tragedy strikes. God is right there ushering them from this life to the next. Can you imagine that scene in heaven when those doors swing open and you get a glimpse of the throne? When they show you your mansion? When you realize that having faith resulted in a hope became reality. That's where God is. He's also right here tonight, isn't he? Comforting the grieving, lifting up the fallen, claiming the lost, 
forgiving every single one of us because we've all messed up sometime this week, right? That's where he's at. That's what I want you to do tonight. We, we, we've talked a lot about death and life after death. We've talked a lot about moving past grief and seeing death for what it really is and, and trusting in the God of the ages to do what only he can do. But all of us still have somebody that we miss every day, don't we? All of us still have somebody that we're going to look for the minute we step into heaven. Probably a few people there we'll be surprised to see, too, don't you guess? Are there, I, I, aren't you going to hate it when everybody looks shocked when you show up, right? <laughs> and during this time of kind of commitment, you've got a couple of three choices. I, I would really like to be in a service sometime where everyone comes. Wouldn't that be neat? Amen. So here are your choices. Number one, these are giving buckets right here. And one of the greatest, see, when you start talking about giving, people start to head out, don't they? One of the greatest opportunities of blessing in your life is to be generous with God. Give your offering tonight. Share in communion. Just, just say thank you to God for his son, what he did, so you can see heaven. Celebrate that gift tonight. And then we have memory boards that we've been working on all day. And you know that person I talked about that you still miss? He may have been gone. She may have been gone decades or days. Take a moment to think about that person. Write their name on the board. Maybe a descriptive word, a memory. And then stop and pause and say, thank you, Jesus that this person was in my life. He or she, were a, they were a gift. An anointed gift from you. And they've helped me to be who I am tonight. And then listen, if you're here tonight and you're not sure you're going to heaven, come down here and talk to me. We don't want anybody to sit in this place and hear the story of Jesus and wonder if he's theirs. He brought you here tonight to meet him. So take a chance to do that. Pray with me. Father, we, we come before you tonight. We know we need to do something. Maybe it's to simply be grateful. Pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Maybe there's something in our life that has to change. Maybe there's a burden that's so heavy we can't, just can't bear it anymore. Maybe we're in that grief process and we're not moving and we're stuck and it just hurts. Maybe we're lost and empty. 
feeling hopeless. Whatever it is, God, you've known about the problem even before we diagnosed it. And you've brought us here tonight for this divine appointment. And here and now, Father, everything changes. The touch of your hand. In Jesus' name. Stand with me. We're going to sing. And I hope you'll come. Because I believe there's joy to be found. There's hope to be found right down here.